Today we are starting a series of services on what I loosely termed an animally theme. There are lots and lots of things about animals in the Bible, lots of animal metaphors and lots of things to help us in thinking about our relationship to the rest of God's creation. So that's what we're starting with this morning and it will continue over a number of weeks. So for our call to worship, I'm going to read from the book of Isaiah and from chapter 11, a vision of the peaceful kingdom. Wolves and sheep will live together in peace and leopards will lie down with young goats. Calves and lion cubs will feed together and little children will take care of them. Cows and bears will eat together. And their calves and cubs will lie down in peace. Lions will eat straw as cattle do. Even a baby will not be harmed if it plays near a poisonous snake. On Zion, God's sacred hill, there will be nothing harmful or evil. The land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the seas are full of water. And so let's come to God in prayer. We pray together. Creator God, who spoke a word and everything began, we come to you now with words of our own. Words that try to express our wonder and our worship. Words that choose to say thank you. Words that need to say sorry. Words that dare to say please. We thank you for this day. For this place. And for these people gathered together. We thank you for the everyday gifts of homes clothes, and food and water. We thank you for the ability we have to think and to learn and to love. We are sorry for the things we have done that have been selfish or thoughtless. Sorry for the words that we have spoken that made other people sad or uncomfortable. Sorry for the times we refused to think or to learn or to love. Please help us to use our minds to think carefully Please help us to learn how to live as Jesus' friends. Please help us to love ourselves, to love other people, to love our world. And especially, please help us to love you. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's reading is um, from the New International Version of the Bible, 
reading Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water until under the vault from from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed on it, in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be light in the vaults of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vaults of the sky to give light on the earth. To govern the day and the night and to separate light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters seem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, cattle, creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds the cattle according to their kinds, and all creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the cattle and all wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. 
and to all the beasts of, of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And so it was. God saw that he had made God saw that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Then from the book of Job chapter twelve. Job said to his friends, You think you are so great with all the answers, but I know as much as you do, and so does everyone else. I have always lived right, and God answered my prayers. Now friends make fun of me. It is easy to condemn those who are suffering when you have no troubles. Robbers and other godless people live safely at home and say, God is in our hands. If you want to learn, then go and ask the wild animals and the birds, the flowers and the fish. Any of them can tell you what the Lord has done. Every living creature is in the hands of God. As Katrina mentioned at the start of the service, over the next three weeks, she's going to be preaching a series of sermons about animals. And I don't know about you, but I don't actually remember the last time I heard a minister preach on that theme. I'm not sure why that is, but for much of the past hundred years or so, we in the church have tended to shy away from talking about animals, at least in the context of worship. I'm willing to wager that Many of us here this morning support the SSPCA or other animal welfare charities. Most of us have had pets that have shared our lives and our homes. But very rarely do we hear a sermon about animals. This wasn't always the case, of course. The early church fathers, the medieval saints, most of the great theologians of centuries past had plenty to say about animals and their place in God's purposes. So why have Christians become so reluctant to deal with this subject in recent times? Well, partly, I guess, it stems from a fear of being dismissed as a bit ditzy. The kind of person, you know, who's obsessed with cute kittens and fluffy bunnies while feeding their cat rabbit-flavoured whiskers. Or perhaps we're worried about being dismissed as hopelessly idealistic. You know, the kind of sandal-wearing, lentil-eating hippie who, when he's not knitting a caftan, spends his time liberating laboratory animals into a wild that they've never known and are ill-equipped to deal with. Or worst of all, perhaps we're afraid of talking about the place of animals in God's purposes because we think we'll be seen as irrelevant or even offensive in a world where there's so much human suffering. Whatever the reason for our reticence, the Bible has no such reticence. Its pages are crammed with stories of animals and of God's dealings with them. The first and most obvious example, I suppose, are the creation stories of Genesis, the first of which Faye read for us in full just a few minutes ago. 
And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Cattle, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the cattle according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground. And God saw that it was good. Despite what Professor Dawkins thinks, it's pretty obvious to us that the Genesis stories were never intended to be scientific accounts of past events. But that doesn't mean they're not important. The theological and moral questions that these stories raise are of ultimate importance. They help us to understand what it means to be human, and they teach us how to live. The people who originally transcribed these stories lived in a society that was utterly dependent on the use of animals. They needed animals for food, for clothing, for tents, for wineskins, for tools, and that's just for starters. In that context, it would have been quite understandable if the writers of Genesis had succumbed to the temptation to justify their current lifestyle, perhaps by having God say to Adam and Eve, I give you all the animals, they will be yours for food. But they didn't. Instead, they told the story of an idyllic garden in which humans and animals lived in peace and in which both people and animals ate plants. Did you notice that verse when Faye was reading earlier? Immediately after God gives Adam and Eve stewardship of the animals, he says to them, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit. They will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Yes, in the beginning, God created vegans. So whatever God's purpose was in creating the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground, it clearly wasn't merely to be of use to humans. And in fact, if you read on in Genesis, beyond the original creation stories, you discover that humans didn't regard animals as foodstuff until after the flood. On the sixth day, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good, but that didn't last long. Sin swept over the earth, and eventually God decided to let a flood wash the earth clean. Only Noah's family and the animals on board the ark survive. And when the water recedes, God says to Noah and to his sons in Genesis chapter 9, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. 
everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. In other words, God concedes that humans have proved incapable of living at peace with other creatures and offers a compromise. Animals may be eaten. It might be strange to think of God offering a concession to human sin, but it's not the only example in the Old Testament. You'll remember that in the first book of Samuel, the Israelites ask God to give them a king so they can be like other nations, and God warns them about the dangers of that kind of social order. But when they persist, God finally relents and gives them a king, and the rest, as they say, is history. So what does all this mean for us? What does this tell us about how we ought to live? Is this an argument that all Christians should be vegan? No. But it does blow out of the water the assumption that animals were created merely for our use. In recent times, many people, including many Christians, have seen creation from a human-centric perspective, assuming that animals are ours to do what we want with. But the Genesis story that Faye read turns that perspective on its head. Animals were not created to be exploited by humans, but rather for us to be stewards of them. For the writers of Genesis, eating meat was seen as part of fallen nature, an acknowledgement at least that something about the way they related to animals and about the way animals related to one another was a sign of a broken world. And it's interesting too that whenever the Bible writers want to paint a picture of a world redeemed and restored, they do it by talking about the relationship between humans and animals. In the call to worship this morning, Katrina read that passage from Isaiah chapter 11, in which he foresaw a time when creation's good order would be re-established. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the nest of the cobra, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And the prophet Hosea in the 8th century BC a dark period in Israel's history, looking forward to a time when God will restore his people to him, writes, At that time I will make a covenant for the good of my people. I will make it with the wild animals and the birds of the air. It will be made with the creatures that move on the ground. I will remove bows and swords and other weapons of war from the land. Then all my people can lie down in safety. So what are the implications of all this for how we relate to animals today? I want to suggest just two things this morning. 
And the first is this, that whatever we do with animals, we have to begin by acknowledging that they were created by God and that they are loved by God. If God created every living thing and saw that it was good, then the whole of life is sacred. And while we may not choose to be vegan, we have no choice but to concern ourselves with the treatment of livestock, with how farm animals are reared and how they are killed. It's not an optional extra for a few fanatics, but an intrinsic part of the gospel imperative. At the end of Mark's Gospel, you'll remember Jesus commands his disciples to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. It's indicative of our self-obsession as a species that in some of the new translations, that verse, Mark chapter 16, verse 5, is translated as go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all people. But God's purposes are wider than our human imagination. In the original Greek New Testament, the verse reads like this. Go into all the world and proclaim the euangelion, the good news, to the ptisis, literally all created things. Go into all the world, says Jesus, and proclaim the good news to all created things. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what would be good news for animals? What would be good news for the battery chicken? What would be the gospel for the factory farmed pig? What would be good news for the countless species that are being deprived of their natural habitat by uncontrolled human development? And then we have to act accordingly. Secondly, I think we have to be more open to the lessons that animals can teach us. In the second passage that Faye read, Job was having what you would call a no-holds-barred theological debate with some of his so-called friends. If they want proof that all creation is in God's hands, he tells them, ask the animals, they will teach you, or the birds of the air, and they will tell you. The idea that animals reveal something of the nature of God was simply taken for granted throughout most of the church's history. The medieval theologian and mystic, Meister Eckhart, for example, claimed that every creature is a word of God. Our forefathers in the faith also believed that animals could teach us how to live. The fourth century monk, Abizantheus, one of the early desert fathers, said, a dog is better than I am, for he has love, and he does not judge. And more recently, Gary Kowalski, an American author and minister, wrote of his own dog. He enjoys simple pleasures and takes each day as it comes. He eats when he's hungry, he sleeps when he's tired. Best of all, he befriends me with an unconditional love that human beings would do well to emulate. When I become too serious and preoccupied in abstractions and ideas, 
He reminds me of the importance of exercising and caring for my body. On his own canine level, he shows me that it might be possible to live without inner conflicts, uncomplicated, genuine, glad to be alive. Now any of us who have lived in close proximity with an animal for any amount of time will recognise those sentiments. Put simply, to be a friend of animals means being ready to learn and to receive from them. The question is, are we mature enough as human beings to accept that God interacts with other creatures? That we are not his only beloved child? That we have brothers and sisters? A very brief postscript. I strongly suspect that there will still be some of us this morning who will be thinking, what on earth does any of this matter in a world where children are abused and old people are neglected? But here's the thing. I suspect that if we lived in a world where animals were treated with respect, as creatures made and loved by God, we would find that we were also living in a world where humans were treated with respect. It was St Francis of Assisi who said, if you have men who will exclude any of God's creatures from the shelter of compassion and pity, you will have men who will deal likewise with their fellow men. And I believe that the Bible and our own experience teaches us that the opposite is also true. If we are people who care for the least of God's creatures, we will also be people who care for our fellow human beings as God's beloved children. We're going to sing together now. Hymn 636 in Baptist Praise and Worship. O Lord, all the world belongs to you. And you are always making all things new. What is wrong, you forgive. And the new life you give is what's turning this world upside down.
our prayers of intercession this morning will be for the whole of creation. So let us pray. Father God, who made everything good, teach us to love all that you have made. Help us to see you in the stars and the planets, in the forests and the flowers, in the rocks and the rivers, and especially in the animals you have entrusted to our care. We pray this morning for all companion animals for cats and dogs, for rabbits and guinea pigs, for snakes and reptiles, for birds and fish, and for all the animals who share our homes and our lives. May we learn to love with the same unconditional love that they show to us. We pray for animals who work with the emergency services, for police dogs who follow their handlers into dangerous situations, for search and rescue dogs who scrabble through rubble to find people buried by earthquake or who accompany mountain rescue teams through storms and blizzards seeking the lost. May we learn to trust you with the same quiet trust they show their handlers. We pray for the animals who still provide transport in so many parts of the world. For donkeys and horses. For camels and elephants. For llamas and alpacas. May we learn to bear our burdens with as much patience as they bear theirs. We pray for the animals who work with people who are sick or disabled. For guide dogs who work with those who are blind. And hearing dogs who work with people who are deaf. For the animals who bring comfort to people in hospitals and hospices and residential homes. May we learn from their example to respond to those in need with care and compassion. Loving God, who sees even the fall of a sparrow, we too are your creatures. And so we pray for ourselves. Help us to become more aware 
of the fellowship we share with all your creatures. Teach us to walk humbly and to tread gently on your good earth that your kingdom may come and your will be done on earth. Amen. We bless one another with the grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.